Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Carr. We are going to be in Ruth chapter 3. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Uh, and this story of Ruth uh, is a story that began with weariness and tragedy and loss. It was a bad time in the history of the Old Testament people of God. It was the time when the judges ruled and the people had abandoned the Lord and gone after false gods. Judges tells us that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And as a consequence, the people of God went through cycles of judgment and oppression. And then repentance and deliverance through a judge. But then another return to evil and back into judgment and oppression and a downward spiral. There was a famine in the land. So the little family that our story is focused on, Elimelech with his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, they make the decision to leave their town in the promised land, the town of Bethlehem. And go to a place and a people that the Lord had told his people to avoid. To go to Moab and to live among the Moabites. And then Elimelech dies. And the two boys, well they marry Moabite women as they were forbidden to do. To marry someone who did not worship the Lord their God. And after that, about Ten years later, the sons also both die. And so Naomi and her two daughters-in-law are left without husbands. They're left without protection. They're left without provision, without resources, without rest. Their story up to that point is a story of weariness and tragedy and loss. And Naomi hears a rumor that The Lord has again blessed his people back in the promised land and brought the famine to an end. And so she she decides to return to her home and to her people. Now she does so even though she's bitter with the Lord because of her circumstances and believes that the Lord is actually not for her but against her. She tells her daughters-in-law to go back to their mother's homes, to find husbands and to find with new husbands protection and provision and resources and rest. She basically says to Orpah and to Ruth, I love you, but I don't have anything for you. And of course, Orpah decides to go back to her mother's home and seek a new husband there in Moab. But the other daughter-in-law, she stays. And she says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Her name, of course, is Ruth. And she is the unlikely instrument God is going to use to bring rest and restoration to this whole story. When Naomi and Ruth get to Bethlehem, though they have nothing... They are able to rest in the Lord's justice and in his sovereignty and in his kindness as Ruth goes out into the fields to glean the leftover grains after the harvest. 
And she happens to work in the field of a worthy man named Boaz. And he just happens to be a close relative of Elimelech, Naomi's late husband. He takes an interest in this young immigrant woman. And his servant tells him of her loyalty and her service to Naomi. Of their loss of their husbands and of her hard work in the field. And Boaz is kind and generous to Ruth and he's protective of her. And Naomi begins to believe that there there may be hope for rest and for restoration for her daughter-in-law, perhaps through this relative. The harvest is over. The work of threshing has begun. And Naomi gets the idea for a plan. And that's where we're going to pick up in Ruth chapter 3. So if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. And we'll read verses 1 through 13. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that's Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord together for his word. O Lord our God, we thank you that you are the sovereign God of all things, that you rule and you reign and you work all things for your glory and for the good of your people. Lord, yes, you call us to walk through this life in a broken and fallen world. As sinful people, Lord, who often experience weariness and even tragedy and loss. Lord, so much of our lives are confusing and difficult. So many decisions to make with so little information to go on. And Lord, we want to look to you in all things. We want to trust you in all things. And so we pray now that you would take your word and that you would, by your Spirit, do its work in our hearts so that we might be transformed into the very image of Christ, that we might be more like Him. Help us to believe what your Word has to say to us, to love what your Word says, to apply it to our lives, to encourage us, Lord, convict us and exhort us. 
And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How do I discover God's will? That's a question that most of us have asked of ourselves probably more than once as we find ourselves in various situations in our lives. How do I know God's will? And we just heard uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, in song, the prayer that Jesus used to give us an example of how it is that we are to pray. And one of the things that we ask for in the Lord's Prayer is that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are asking in, in making that petition to the Lord, we are asking for God's will to be done in our lives, in the details and situations and circumstances and decisions of our lives. Now what we do know is that God has revealed a lot of his will for us in his word. Right? It is God's will that we approach him only through faith in Jesus Christ, his only son. That we approach God for forgiveness, for reconciliation with him, for adoption into his family, for eternal life only through the only son of God who lived the life that we failed to live, who died the death that we deserve to die, who rose again from the dead and reigns at the right hand of the father until he will come again to make all the wrong things right, all the sad things untrue, and to wipe away every tear from our eyes. God wills that we only approach him through Jesus. It's God's will that we love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. It's God's will that we love one another as Christ has loved us. It's God's will that we love our neighbors as ourselves. It's God's will that we make disciples of Jesus in every nation on earth. It's God's will that we hear his voice through his word, that we speak to him through prayer, that we commune with him through the sacraments, that we worship him with his people. God has made so much of his will clear to us. Amen? We know a lot about God's will for our lives. But we also, on a daily basis, have to make decisions and take actions in life, big ones and small ones, once-in-a-lifetime ones and daily ones, where we do not have access to God's will. God hasn't told us in his word where we should go to school or what career we should pursue or whether to uh, take this job over that one or if this is the right person to marry or how much to contribute to our 401k or what's the right amount of freedom to give our child at this particular point in their life or uh, if this person is a safe one in which I can confide paper or plastic, french fries or tater tots. We face a lot of decisions where we don't have access to God's will. So how does God's will work anyway? Is it like Back to the Future 3? Where uh, Doc Brown says, your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Are we absolutely free so that 
everything hinges on us somehow discerning and finding out God's will and then making the right decision in a series of consecutive events. I mean, what are the chances of that? If we are absolutely free and we have to make the right choice every time, that's exhausting and terrifying and paralyzing. So it probably doesn't work like that. And in fact, Scripture tells us that it doesn't work like that. Was it, is it like 12 monkeys? That's a little more obscure, sorry. Uh, but where our fate is unavoidable and our decisions don't ultimately matter, so we aren't free at all, and instead we're more like mechanical puppets, and we find that depressing and dissatisfying and also paralyzing. The Bible tells us that instead of either of these extremes, it is true that God is both absolutely sovereign, that he governs everything that happens, and that he has made us absolutely responsible for our decisions. See, God ordains the ends, and he also ordains the means. And the means by which God ordains the ends is our valid and free choices from day to day. So, It is our responsibility to seek to make the wisest possible choices with the information that God has made available to us and then to rest, knowing that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. In our passage, Naomi and Ruth together give us an example of how we can seek rest when we don't have access to God's will for our lives. How can we seek to rest in the Lord in our decisions and in our actions when we don't have access to his will? Very quickly, five steps from this passage. The first step is love. To love. What is Naomi's motive here? Well, it's very clearly love. It's love for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. She says, my daughter. She doesn't say my daughter-in-law. Hey, hey, my son's wife. Now she says, my daughter. Should I not seek rest for you? That it may be well with you? The truth is it has not gone well for Naomi. To the extent that she asked her friends to stop calling her Naomi because that name means pleasant and sweet. No, she says, call me Mara because that means bitter. Her life in the last few years has been full of weariness and tragedy and loss. And yet here she is, moved by love to act in the best interest of someone else. To seek rest, security, provision, protection, resources, and rest for her daughter-in-law. And I would just say to us that every opportunity that we have to seek God's will, every decision that we have a chance to make is an occasion for us to love. Jesus teaches us that the two greatest commandments in the law are to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds and with all of our strengths and that there's a second commandment like it to love our neighbors as ourselves and if we listen to Jesus as he summarizes the Ten Commandments we will see that these two commands govern every aspect of human life in this world that we have the opportunity in every choice to be animated by love love for God 
and love for our neighbor. And if we approach our decisions with the question, how can I best love God here? How can I best love my neighbor here? To step back from the decisions we make and the actions that we take and say, am I motivated by love here? If we will do that with the decisions that we make, is this characterized, motivated by, animated by love? Then we can rest knowing that to the best of our ability, we are seeking God's will. Why? Because our God, the scriptures tell us, is love. And we can seek his will by obeying his commands to in all that we do love him with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and to seek to love our neighbors as ourselves. Love. Step two, observe. Observe. Motivated by love, Naomi wants what is best, not for herself, but for Ruth. She wants God's will for Ruth, and she is actively seeking God's will and seeking God's rest for Ruth. But Naomi doesn't know God's will, which is so often where we find ourselves. We want what is best. We want God's will, but we don't know God's will. But here's what Naomi has been doing. She's been observing where and how God seems to be working in their lives. When Ruth went out to glean in the fields of Bethlehem, she happened to come to the field belonging to the close relative of Naomi's late husband. And that relative, Boaz, happened to take quite an interest in Ruth, and he was generous to her, and he complimented her, and he protected her, and he told her, don't go into anybody else's field, only come into my field. And when he sends her away, he sends her with two weeks' worth of food. Now, this is all too much to be coincidence. Naomi thinks that, hey, you know, given all of these happenstances, and given Boaz's reaction to Ruth, maybe God is up to something good here. He might be bringing these two crazy kids together. And when we have a decision to make, when we're seeking the will of God, it's good to ask the question, where do I see God already at work? It's that first question, am I motivated by love? And where is God already at work? How has he brought me to this point? What are the evidences of his hand in this situation? How can I join God in what he is already doing through this decision or this action? Now, our ability to discern what God is actually doing is pretty limited. We might think that God is leading us in a particular direction only to be redirected and left asking, what, is, what was the Lord doing there and how can I align with what he is doing here? And here's where our confidence in God's sovereignty, his rule and reign over all things, his governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Here, here's where this doctrine taught by scripture can be so comforting and bring such freedom that we can rest knowing that even if we were wrong in our assessment of how God is working, we were not wrong that he was working and that he was working for our ultimate good. In seeking God's will, am I motivated by love? Where do I see God already at work? Love, observe, then, step three, plan. Plan. 
Naomi takes her motivation and her observation and makes the best plan that she knows how to make. Verses 2 through 4. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, I know that I have told you the story of how uh, Shannon asked me to our senior prom, her senior prom, and how that was our first date, uh, and it was our last first date, right? Uh, the rest was history. But I, I don't know that I have told you the, the reason that Shannon asked me to take her to her senior prom. She was dared. I don't know what that says about me, but it was all a dare. And it was a dare... Uh, by her best friend. See, her best friend was my oldest friend. And she knew us both. And she knew that she had a type. And she knew that I had a type. And she thought that maybe our types might match up. And out of love for us, and then observing how God had formed us and been at work in our lives, uh, her best friend and my oldest friend, Janice, well, she came up with a plan. And she decided to dare Shannon to ask me to prom. She didn't know what God's will was for us. She had no idea. And she'll tell us, I had no idea that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. But that's what happened. She had a plan. She was motivated by love. She had observed where God is at work. And she worked that plan. Shannon couldn't turn down the dare, I couldn't turn down the invite, and here we are. She gave me the chance to see Shannon as I had never seen her before. And it changed everything in my life for the better from that night on. And that's Naomi's goal with this plan. To seek God's will and Ruth's rest by giving Boaz the opportunity to see Ruth as he had never seen her before. Up to this point, he had kind of only seen her at work in the fields, in her work clothes, you know, dirty, and he could see that she was a woman of character. He could see that she had a great work ethic. What he couldn't see, maybe not fully, was how beautiful and, and special she was. And so Naomi says, listen, I want you to wash yourself. And I want you to dress well. And I want you to put on perfume. And I want you to go to the threshing floor and identify where he lays down. And after he goes to sleep, I want you to go lay by his feet. That's the plan. But leave the outcome to Boaz and to the Lord. Moved by love. Having observed where it seemed that God is at work, Naomi makes a plan. That brings us to the fourth step, which is my personal favorite, risk. Love, observe, plan, and then risk. Ruth embraces Naomi's plan to seek God's will for her rest. And she says, all that you say, I will do. She does. 
She washes herself, she puts on perfume, she puts on her cloak, she goes down to the threshing floor, she waits for Boaz to fall asleep, then she goes to where he lays, she uncovers his feet, and she lays down at his feet. This was a huge risk. This was not a normal thing to do. Neither Naomi nor Ruth knew how Boaz was going to receive these actions. Would he be offended? Would he see this as an inappropriate advance by this foreign woman? Would he reject Ruth and bring down the Lord's curses on her and on Naomi? They had no way to know for sure how this night was going to unfold. But they were motivated by love. They had observed where God had seemed to be at work. They had a good plan to move forward, but they would never know if this was God's will unless Ruth took the risk. Because we do not have access to God's will for specific situations, we are all called to take risks. We have to chance that our desired outcome might not be in line with what the Lord has for us. And that is not easy. Here, Ruth, who has been through so much weariness, tragedy, and loss. Here she has to lay all of her hopes on the line. Have you ever been in that position? Where you had to put everything on the line in a moment? It's not an easy thing to do. It's a scary thing to do. Seeking rest is risky. Which makes it the perfect opportunity for the last step. Which is trust. Love. Observe. Plan. Risk. And trust. Ruth trusts Naomi implicitly. All that you say, I will do. Ruth then trusts Boaz. She puts herself in an extremely vulnerable position, not only laying at his feet, but when he awakens and says, who are you? She says, I am Ruth, your servant. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What we need to recognize here is that in a reversal of how things were ordinarily supposed to go in that culture, and typically ours as well, and most cultures throughout the ages, this is Ruth making a marriage proposal to Boaz. Earlier in the story, when Boaz first meets Ruth, and he has heard her story, and he begins to talk to her about how she has served and loved Naomi, he praises her not only for what she has done for Naomi, but also because she has come under the wing of the one true and living God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. He says, this is the Lord under whose wing you have sought refuge. So using the same language that Boaz had used with her earlier, She says to him, I want you to be the extension of God's will for my life. And I want you to spread your wing over me. I want you to redeem me. Meaning, I want you to take a childless widow and be my husband. And provide, redeem our family line so that it can continue. And redeem our family land so that it can come back as part of our inheritance. Ruth is asking Boaz... To be God's rest and provision for her, trusting that he will redeem her by marrying her. Providing continuation for her family line and restoration of the family land. And of course, what we see in Boaz's response is that Boaz trusts Ruth. 
She, he believes that she is a woman of noble character who has proved herself by her kindness to her mother-in-law. And now, he says, that was the first kindness, and that was amazing. But this second kindness is even better, and here's what it is. You have not gone after other men. You haven't gone after young men or old men, poor men or rich men. You haven't gone after anyone. You've saved yourself exclusively for me. Ruth wants Boaz. Boaz wants Ruth. Naomi's back at the house wanting both of them. But there's a problem. Yes, Boaz qualifies as a redeemer. He can bring rest and restoration to Ruth and to their family for generations to come. But he's not the only redeemer. He's a close relative, but there is actually a closer relative to Elimelech who would have the first right of redemption if he wanted it. So what now is going to happen with Boaz, with Ruth, and Naomi? They have loved They have observed. They have planned. They have risked. They are trusting, and now they're going to have to continue to trust. They're going to have to place their trust in the Lord. And after we love and observe and plan and risk, we are called to trust as well. And this is often the hardest part for us in this whole process of making decisions and seeking rest and seeking God's will, is the part where we have loved and observed and planned and risked, but we don't yet have the answer whether or not this is God's will for our lives. So what do we have to do? We have to walk by faith and not by sight. We have to trust. And what this passage is calling us to do is to trust in the Lord the same way that we see Ruth trust in Boaz. She asks him to spread her wings, spread his wings over her. And we need to come to the Lord with an open heart in all of the decisions and all of the actions that we are called to take in this life. Loving him first, our neighbors second, observing where he is at work, planning to the best of our ability, being willing to take the risks that God puts in front of us, but trusting that the Lord will work in such a way that whether we are right or whether we are wrong about God's will for us, that he will work for our good and for his glory. And we can do this. Because our God has said to us, in both word and action, what Boaz says to Ruth. Except Boaz says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. The Lord has said to us, as I live, I will redeem you. The way the Apostle Paul says it is, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously with him give us all things. My brothers and sisters, when you have loved and observed and planned and risked, you are called to trust and you can trust because the only thing that you ever have to do is look back and see what God has done for you in Christ. How will he who did not spare his own son withhold anything from the children that he loves? He won't. And so whether you get your hopes up really high And take a really significant risk only to find out that it wasn't God's will for you. Or whether you do the same and find out that it's exactly God's will for you. You know that he can be trusted.
And you know that you are loved because the Lord has said to you, as I live, I will redeem you. And he will not let one decision, one action, one circumstance in your life go to waste. He will do his will in all of it for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. We thank you for how you brought restoration to this situation. And Lord, as we, as we wait to hear uh, how things go, Lord, I pray that you would help us because we have situations in our lives where we are waiting for an answer. We're waiting to discover your will. We are seeking after rest and we don't have it yet. And so, Lord, I pray in the various decisions that are represented in this room that will need to be made in this week and in the weeks to come and the years to come, Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow the example set by these three people in this passage. Lord, not because they were perfect or behaved in a perfect way. They certainly didn't, and neither will we. But because you, the Lord, are our Redeemer. And you have pledged to redeem your people. You have done everything necessary in Christ. And you are now at work in our lives in such a way that not a hair can fall from our heads apart from your will. In fact, all things must work together for our salvation. We trust this. We believe this. We know that your will for us is good, that you are for us, and therefore nothing can stand against us. And so we place all of our trust in you, Lord. Help us to go boldly into the world to make the decisions that we face, seeking your will and trusting your way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreekchurch.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.